Hey guys, Jeremy National Fire Radio, along with my cohort and probably the smarter, um, I'm not going to give you better looking, but I'll give you smarter um, per personality on National Fire Radio, Rob Ridley. Hey, Rob. What's going on, Jeremy? Brent, How are you, buddy? Thank you for coming on. Oh, no, thanks for, thanks for having me tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, uh, we got uh, a friend and a rock star on with us tonight. Uh, we met him about a month ago now. Uh, and I just uh, so excited to get him on because he brings forth a whole different uh, avenue of, of who and, and what we've interviewed in the past. And uh, without further ado, Captain Brent Brooks out of the Toronto Fire Services, 27 years in the fire service with Toronto. He's currently assigned to the high rise unit, which we're going to hop into all of that. Um, Brent, Captain, thanks for joining us tonight, pal. Glad to be here. Good to see you guys. Absolutely. You know, it's um, it's a lot of fun to see you again. We spent uh, three days together a month ago working on a uh, live streaming project for uh, Snaptide Hose, and uh, that event um, was uh, was a was a bookmark in our in our chapter as a as a platform and and uh, and with Snaptide. And it was an honor to have you there. Uh, one representing uh, Canada. I mean, it's just, uh, I haven't talked to many, you know, we haven't had, I, Rob, have we had anyone on from Canada on the show? Uh, technically, when we were in Buffalo, one of the guys uh, jumped ah. in because he always gets the parking tickets in Harrisburg, so. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But other than that, um, it's exciting, Brent, to have you on tonight. Um, you know, Canada's our, our northern friends, but uh, you guys do things just a little bit different, but a lot the same. Um, but it's exciting tonight to have you on the show because I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your backstory. Like I, like I alluded to, we worked on a project together for three days. We did a round table, um, at SnapTight, uh, with a couple incredible guests and yourself. Um, and I, and I just thought that event was, uh, overwhelming for myself. It was just so great. And, uh, and it was a great night. So, uh, it's nice now though, to have some quiet time to really get to know you through this podcast tonight so thank you for joining us it's an absolute honor to have you um any questions comments before we get rolling because uh the, the people want to know I, I, there's one thing i just want to know from brent is if he's recovered uh going back to canada for driving on the other side of the road <laughs> since it changed up here in america for him when he tricked that's right. us that's right I you, so for everybody that's listening brent played the ultimate joke on jeremy and i when we were going to dinner and he started telling us that he was talking to his wife and he said, yeah, babe, I'm doing a really good job. Even the, you know, this driving on the other side of the road thing isn't as hard as I thought it would be. And everybody in the car stopped and looked at each other in a brief panic. And then we realized that in Canada, they drive on the same side of the road as we do. And he, he got us. I, that was. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, well, hold on. Okay, so Canada, I mean, it's just over the northern border. I mean, for me to get to Canada, it's like six hours, not even five hours, right? Five, six hours to get to the, to the border. But I don't know anything about Canada, man. I don't know what areas the French, you know, French Canada, right? And then yeah. you have, uh, and then Toronto is mostly English speaking, correct? It is, it's, yeah. It's all yeah. English speaking, right? But Quebec, Quebec is the Quebec. is the French, right? It is, yeah. They, they, what, uh, they're, they're pretty much our entire Olympic team. Uh, the great hockey players come from there <laughs> and our um, armed forces. So uh, we really need that province. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. So we're going we're gonna to get a little uh, Canadian history tonight too, but you do drive on the same side of the road as us. Um, we do. And I do want to get into um, 
smuggling you across the border to come in for our project, which we could <laughs> we could share a laugh about that later. But why don't we hop in? Enough of Rob and I going at it here. Let's let's hop in with you. And I'd really love to um, you know get to know Brent Brooks and and your love and passion that I know you have for the fire service. But um, let's start at chapter one. I mean, how how did you get mixed up in in the fire service? Uh, and what set you off on your career? Well, it, it uh, wasn't easy. My entire family, my dad, his, his four brothers, uh, everyone's a cop. And uh, <laughs> everyone was you know, trying to direct me down that um, same path. And not that there's anything wrong with the police, but, you know, uh, just throughout my life, uh, I was in the Canadian Armed Forces and, and I just like to help people. And, you know, every time there was, you know, something on the beach or, there, you know, there's someone hurt, I was always kind of running up and, and, and seeing, if, seeing if I can help. So I did do the police foundations. I went to college for, uh, you know, um, to become a cop. And then I finally told my dad and his brothers, I said, listen, I said, I want to be a firefighter. And, you know, the, you know, the, the, rival, the rivalry between cops and firefighters. So uh, anyways, uh, every family union's tough. Um, I can hold my own. And uh, I'm, I, I know we, I did pick the better, better of the two careers, but uh, yeah, that's, that's how I kind of got into firefighting just, just for the love of it. That's so, and so, but you got that through a, a home built on help, right? I mean, you have, you have a, a service oriented family that yeah. really uh, set you up for success in understanding the importance of service to your community and to your fellow citizen. Um, I think those foundational blocks are imperative. Brent, it you is. said you were in the Canadian Armed Forces? I was uh, as a reservist, and uh -huh. I did uh, communications. And funny enough, uh, I don't know how many years later, but uh, we've made communication systems on our high-rise unit, and it's stuff that I learned back when I was in the military. So it's uh, I'm certainly glad I did that Uh reserve time and it, it's it, it's it's helped me in the fire service and you know kind of launching our fire department forward when it comes to these complicated buildings i, I think that yeah, right. it's one of the cool things about um everybody up in canada is that like you guys are constantly tweaking things and working on things to make them safer better but even more importantly more aggressive to serve the citizens and like a lot of people I don't want to say get turned off by that, but they think that you're trying to like ruin the fire service, but you guys are really doing things that enhance the fire service so much. And I always think that's awesome because I, I have got the chance to meet with some people from Ottawa as well. And just the things that you guys are doing is fantastic. Well, we're, we're, we're certainly a little bit um, uh, underestimated. Uh, I, I spoke at a conference in the States, uh, making the stretch and, uh, I, I said I was from Canada and, you know, you get the igloos and you get the bobsled uh, uh, type jokes. Yeah. Um, and this uh, one firefighter said to me, he goes, you know, I'm from a real big department. We have eight stations, uh, you know, uh, you know, two trucks per station type thing. I'm like, oh, he goes, uh, what do you have in, um, in your city? I said, well, we have 84 stations, 3,000 firefighters. We have 3,000 high rises. And he goes, no, no, not, not your entire country. What about your city? I said, that that is our city. We have 84 fire stations. and uh, That's ridiculous. I mean, I said, I don't know much about Canada, but come on. Yeah, we're um, second as far as, uh, uh, second in New York City as far as the um, amount of high-rise buildings. And we kind of jockey back and forth between uh, Chicago and us. I was, I was floored when you had told us yeah. uh, that you have over 3,000 high-rises 
and, and the, 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 how prevalent high-rise fires are for you, um, you know, and so on. I mean, I know we're jockeying ahead in this interview right now to really dive into this, but, you know, um, you know, understanding that really sets us up to really take on an understanding how important specializing your tactics and response is then based upon your fires and the bread and butter fires that you guys have are typically high-rise fires. And it was, and, and the reason why we went with the whole high-rise unit thing is, is we talk, you know, truck companies, we talk engine companies, uh, and rescue companies and squad companies um, and how they work together. And we found that we were missing one of the key components. And that was something that was specialized to um, high-rise firefighting. So we did, uh, we do have two dedicated uh, high-rise trucks, uh, rides with four firefighters, 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year. And we're the specialists that come and you know solve those uh, issues that are um, you know when that when that high rise fire comes in um, we're the troubleshooters and we have the tactics to kind of um, back everything up that you can't traditionally carry on a normal fire truck just because of the size like right. even behind me you can see there's two giant yeah. 30 inch fans there uh, you know very rare that you can fit that on a on a normal pump or engine. Brent, can you like one of the things I always think is interesting is. Uh, like what is the definition of a high rise? And I think everybody's kind of got a little bit of difference to it, but so we have a baseline for you. What is your definition of what a high rise building is? So we're um, six stories and up. I think the code is, uh, you know, 75 feet. I, I hope I got that right. Cause we're um, uh, metric, not, not, not imperial, but it's 75 feet uh, out of reach of the area ladder. But that is the way the codes look at it. The way we look at it as firefighting is anything that's standpipe equipped. So we can actually have a single story, uh, like a Home Depot, which is a high-rise building on its side, is standpipe equipped. Uh, we're going to use those same tactics. Uh, I think it was two days ago, um, the high-rise unit was at a residential house fire. Uh, there's a, a picture of me with this really uh, odd-looking nozzle. I saw that. Yeah. Right? So why is a high-rise at a residential bungalow um, house fire? Because that's some of the same tactics with high-rise firefighting we can use on a residential um, balloon frame construction. So we have that cock loft nozzle. Uh, we call it the uh, uh, opposing tip nozzle. We have a 38 millimeter or an inch and a half Bresnan. We have a 65 millimeter Bresnan on a pole. So we have these different techniques for getting those uh, difficult to reach fires when it comes to residential. When it goes to high-rise, uh, we're using it for exterior cladding. We're using it for those uh, curtain walls, the voids that are inside buildings. So we just have to, whichever building uh, we're going to, res residential, warehouse, high rise, we just pick how we're going to use the tactics on our truck. All right. They, so they, they, they almost drop the name high rise and call it a, you know, a, a tactics truck, really. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, Toronto had to adopt this, right? The culture, the fire service culture had to adopt this change i mean how old how old are these high-rise companies or tactic companies so 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 we had a high-rise unit way back in 1998 so we've had it staffed since 1988 uh the problem back then uh we looked at two high-rise units that are in um, new york city uh, right. a high-rise unit that's in jersey city but they're they're not operated the same as us but that was a good um idea as far as what equipment should be carried on the truck um what what would what happened with the first generation of high-rise truck because they didn't know how to run it it was they would just send it to every high-rise fire and it didn't really fall into our instant command structure and the truck had a bad name on it called u-turn one because it would always go and, and turn left, <laughs> and left, and left and i like that that's good 
we actually made up a crest, you know, with, with just the uh, Maltese cross and the um, U-turn uh, uh, symbol on it. Um, that's I don't know funny. if I can talk that's about when I, when, I, when I came down to the high-rise, but I came down to the high-rise unit um, because it was specialty. It was unique. We had one in the city. So I said, all right, I'll come down and try it out. So I did. And then I started realizing there's a big disconnect between the way that the designers are building these buildings and the theories that firefighters have on how we think we should be fighting these fires. So um, I started looking into those problems and, try to, and trying to complete that disconnect between designers and how we fight fires. So I joined the Council of Tall Buildings. It's actually based out of Chicago, but there's chapters um, all over the world. And I think to date, I'm the only uh, boots on the ground firefighter that's actually part of that um, Council of Tall Buildings. So in doing that, every time there's a building built in the city of Toronto, I'll actually go tour it with the Council of Tall Buildings. I'll have the designer, the architects, everyone that had input on that building. Um, they know I'm a firefighter, and I ask those difficult questions. I say, well, how do you expect us to fight a fire in your building? And they tell me. I said, how do you expect us to get smoke out of the building? And they tell me. I go, how would you think that we would do a mass evacuation in their building? And they tell me. And what I'm finding is, is there's a big difference between our theory as firefighters fighting those type of fires and, and doing our tactics to what the building designer and architects actually think that we're doing. So um, in saying that, we've developed tactics that um, work for those uh, uh, specific buildings. Um, uh, I love that because I, I, I've noticed so often, like in my community, that the fire prevention office and subcode officials who approve the plans, then if, if they're not hands-on firefighters anymore, and then you look at where standpipes are installed or the FDCs are, are positioned on the building and, or the access to the rear, things like that, that, you know, in the preliminary stages, you have some influence in, in changing, um, man, it drives me nuts when on a practical level, we go to use it. And I'm like, who the hell authorized this? Who put this in? And it, it, it's true. And I don't know if, if you guys have the same pre-plans that uh, we have up here, but it's, it's a book that's in every single high rise, but it tells us how to use a fire extinguisher. It tells us how to do, you know, certain things. And, and I personally think we should have a fire attack plan versus a pre-plan. Uh, pre-plans for the, you know, the occupants and security guards, we need a fire attack plan. So when I pull up, where's your FTC connections? Um, you know, what's the ventilation profile of the building? What class of system? Because all that uh, we have to take into um, uh, consideration. Because I know in the States, uh, you're predominantly uh, class one system. Up here in Canada, we're, we're class three. And a good SOP in the States will tell you you, have, you exclusively uh, hit from the floor below. Now, our buildings, after talking to um, designers that have pressurized stairwells and that are sprinklered, they want us to hit it from the fire floor if the hallway is clear. So there's, there is a little, little bit of difference, and not every building is the same. So I would like to see almost like a placard on the outside of the building that tells us, here's your ventilation profile, here's your fire attack strategy, here's the type of system you have, and then right away, um, we, we can get the ball rolling. Um, uh, class two systems, uh, I know in, in, in the States, it, and, and same with Canada, we like to stretch from the truck. But we have brand new buildings that are being built that are class two to have an FDC connection and a fire pump, and it can give us the pressures that we want. Not that that's the right thing. I would rather not see any class two worldwide, but um, we have strategies for those uh, difficult buildings, and they're 14-story <laughs> buildings, not your 
typical five to six that you see in the in in the state. Interesting. So how do you so being a part of that uh, council of tall buildings and then being involved in the high rise unit? I mean, this really has become a uh, lifestyle passion of the job section of it, right? I mean, this is a this is a real specific discipline within the fire service that not many people are familiar with to begin with, let alone become uh, you know, uh, well, uh, instructed or taught or, and, and then become an educator in that discipline. Did you find when you found, I know we kind of skipped ahead in your career and we got right to the high rise stuff, but I know how prevalent that is with your everyday, with your own training company and, and, uh, within the, the city of Toronto and all of that. I mean, this is what you live and breathe, but when you were coming through the ranks, what, what got you there? Was it the excitement of something different? Was it the, the challenge of a new company? I mean, what, what got you to start thinking that this is the, the avenue you wanted to travel? Well, I was uh, 12 years on a rescue. Uh, I think you might call them squads in, 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 in the States. And right. running on the highway calls, it was fantastic. Um, and then when we amalgamated with other, other departments, so six, six fire departments uh, became one, I just said, what's the business? is hall never saw it never drove by it what's the biggest <laughs> station it's got a high-rise unit and a command vehicle platoon chief district chief i'm like all right let's do it so put a put a transfer sheet in got it got down there got um assigned to the high-rise and started running high-rise calls but there was something missing in my career i wasn't going to conferences i wasn't um i thought i was into the job i thought i knew everything there was about high-rise firefighting because at that time i had 12 years on so then we had in 2010 uh, we had a real bad fire, uh, two maydays. Uh, it was the high-rise unit that uh, we were on. I was driving the Chiefs. I was the fifth that day, uh, running staging from two floors below, and we had the mayday. We almost lost firefighters. And that fire went for five and a half hours um, without us being able to extinguish it. After that, I, I, I learned that I know very little um, about high-rise firefighting. And not just me, but our department in our city, and we had to make improvements. So that's when I started uh, reading, a lot of reading, uh, trying to understand these buildings. After I was well-read, I started going to conferences. So HROC, I've been there every year with the exception of the COVID year. Um, so that's six or seven times with, now. And with that, though, how challenging was it to find specific content on this discipline? I mean, I know guys have written books, but... I can't imagine there's a plethora of, of information out there being shared through practical experience, because frankly, uh, it's not happening every day. No. And, and, and you know, uh, you know the, uh, Dave McGrail's book and my, and Matt Stuckey's book right. are really the, the only two books out there. Uh, we can Google stuff and, and see what FDNY are doing. You know, they had the KO blanket at the time. They had the floor below nozzle at the time. So we went out and purchased that stuff. But what you need really need is the hands on. Yeah. And we found the kale blanket was too difficult to set up. Uh, it really had to be um, uh, coordinated. And you have firefighters working above the fire, below the fire. And it, it, we weren't successful. We did get the floor below nozzle. And then we thought, hey, we gotta, we got to come up with our own type of um, thing here. Because we got 3,000 high-rise buildings and we're having you know, lots of high-rise fires. So then we kind of took it to the next level. Um, and we have a plan A, plan B, plan C. Um, if, if things start to fail on us. Uh, what, was the, what was the creative process in coming? Cause like you're 2010 and I'm thinking in my fire service career, we have high rise fires figured out and it's either you're doing them or you're not. 
And yeah. typically the people who are not doing them, they're going to roll the dice and it's either going to come out or guys are going to get hurt. And then we have incidents in major cities where firefighters are going to have maydays or God forbid, like they had down at the Dahlia Avenue, lose their lives. Um, and, and it's going to start this discussion. What was the creative side of this to figure this out? You talk about being well-read. Was there a point where you were doing this research that all of a sudden like the light bulb started to click and you were like, okay, now, now I got it. And can you kind of hit on that light bulb moment where you started to move forward with developing the tactics and everything else to kind of, you know, make this into something. Well, yeah. So the way that I was trained, um, I believed it, I, you know, uh, yeah. this is the way you go to the Academy and you believe everything that um, you're taught. And really a lot of things hadn't changed in the fire service. So here we are trying to make a push um, down a hallway with an inch and a half hose line and, and a fog nozzle. And we, and we can't make the push. And I remember hearing in the States that they were using two and a half inch hose line with smooth bore nozzles. And I'm thinking, well, that's just, you know, U S who look how tough I am type thing. Um, there's no way we're going to drag two and a half inch hose line with smooth bore down a hallway. You know, that's, that, that's a U.S. thing. Anyways, then we had several fires and I said, we cannot make the push. Maybe, you know, maybe the U.S. is onto something here. So obviously I made the trips, uh, I, at least twice to, uh, New York city every year, the, the H rock Chicago and kind of figured out their tactics. Then we started implementing their tactics, found that they worked. And we simply um, uh, improved upon it after that. So it was really um, by experience of not being able to put out a fire is what made us try even harder to find those solutions. It's crazy. I just, uh, yeah, go ahead, Rob. No, no, I just, I mean, it's just because like you said, I, I believe the stuff that we were taught and I was like, all right, this is, this is what will work. And, you know, I, <laughs> Especially after meeting you, I'm like, I, I think we need to look at this again. And 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 even now that we're set up, like we have the proper hose and nozzle package, uh, a very very uh, big department contacted me and they said, listen, we got some money. What's the one thing that we should buy for high rise firefighting? And I'm like, well, do you have a gate and gauge? And they're like, no. I'm like, oh boy, are you using smoothbore? And they're like, no. I'm like, and so then we talked about, um, you know, would would you go to a house fire? And put duct tape over top of your pump panel and 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 not know your pressures. And their their answer of of course you wouldn't do that. Um, so a lot of departments are still struggling and way behind the eight ball as far as um, you need the gate and gauge. You need a bleed a bleed valve for firefighter safety. You need the smooth board to be able to uh, pass standpipe debris. Um, so the more we can spread the word, the more those departments can can change and just come up with a standard. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, the time that we spent together last month on that project that we worked on with SnapTite, um, I was floored by the conversations we were having, um, whether it was at the factory or after hours having a couple of sodas and, and, you know, just talking shop. It was really unbelievable. And then we, we shot some content with you, Robin and uh, yourself disappeared in the factory and shot some Instagram content that we put on Instagram and uh, we're going to get some of it out on Facebook and so on. But there was a lot of interest um, when we do these videos, these short educational pieces of, you know, how different people operate and so on. What I found was the content we posted for you uh, with you, you know, teaching your little tips, tricks and hacks and, and things like that, or the way you guys operate um, your high rise bag in particular, your appliance bag. Um, that thing got so much play and, and such conversation started 
Um, because frankly, what you guys did was it's tried and true, right? It, you guys, you guys came up with ideas and, and thoughts and, and learned from others and then crafted it to make it your own. Um, and everything in that bag and all the equipment you spoke about, I mean, you know, so, so well in depth and why you have it and how it operates. Um, and I just have to believe in a discipline like this, uh, you got to know that stuff. Yeah, and it, it, it really all happened is once we had the kit, um, we had to train 3,000 firefighters on how to use it. And being there every day training those firefighters, um, still, still being on shift as well, uh, I found the mistakes that a lot of firefighters were making. So it was good for me to see the uh, mistakes. You just didn't drop a kit off and uh, expect them to use it. So seeing, you know, the, the way they were doing door control or, or the way they were uh, controlling nozzle reaction and making a push down the hallway, everyone was doing it different. So we kind of standardized it and we came up with real Pacific um, areas inside that kit so we could grab something in, in zero visibility or, or we could troubleshoot better. You know, we were preparing for that second in crew that was uh, coming in and everything is calling, kind of falling uh, into place. And after you train those 3,000 firefighters, we're actually on a phase two, which is, uh, we call it the shoelace drill, adding to the front. So we add 50 feet uh, to the front section. So there's no need to go back to the standpipe, shut it down, and truly move 200 to 250 feet of hose. We're only moving 50 feet, and we only shut down for seconds. We got to um, we got to talk about, we're going to talk about that in depth, because <laughs> you blew you blew a lot of minds and, and it's funny to watch you explain it because people don't understand what you're saying or it bucks tradition to, to the utmost that like, right, Rob, I mean, how many people were struggling with that idea of adding 50, adding 50, adding 50. And I, I just watching people struggle with it. They couldn't even, they couldn't even, they couldn't even comprehend it, Brent. Yeah. And, it, and it's great. And just the way our 50-foot section mark, you grab the midsection, which is the 25-foot mark, that's a perfect stretch when you're uh, under the protection of the nozzle firefighter to actually lay that line. Uh, we also know when we drop our packs, the first fold that we grab will give us the perfect stretch on a um, return stairs. The second fold will give us a perfect stretch on a scissor stair. So we've taken the science that every single hand movement in, into uh, consideration so that when these firefighters come, they know how to orientate the bale. They know how to add a length. They, they know the standpipe, you know, kits by their right or left leg, depending on uh, which way they're going down the hallway. So we've been adding our drills into our firefighters. And if, if we did, if we find a problem, we add that to the drill. Um, and now that we're on phase two, it's, it's fantastic. We get two firefighters to move 350 feet of hose by themselves. That was going to be one of my stairs across the hallway. Back at stairs. I, I know people are not moving the full length. They're only moving the 50 feet. Yeah. I, I know people will sometimes like resist two and a half inch hose, especially departments with low manpower. One of the things that I started to really kind of comprehend from our time in the factory was that this is not a thing that's uh, like, it, it's not, it's not bad. Like, and it's not going to be something that we, we have to, um, fear and i was like the, the one thing that was disappointed about our trip to snap tight was that i didn't have gear and you and i couldn't attach uh hook up to a standpipe with your 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 setup so i could actually see it in motion but like you really like four people can do this and i mean you said just said two people can do this so it really 
it's like you you've literally planned every move for the crew so it can become muscle memory we have and and, and the key thing with uh, muscle memory too is, is is a lot of people think well you know you're uh, teaching this muscle memory so when things don't go as planned uh, you're going to set them up for failure um, we have a seven-story tower with a 50-foot long hallway so we actually not that we set them up for failure but we look at all the problems that can go wrong and every floor we add that problem into it so let's say we grab a bite and we drive it to form two loops well maybe on the next floor we don't give them that option to be able to drive and find two loops we'll say you need to preload the hose uh, the next one when we go to uh, go up a, a, a flight of stairs with only two firefighters we'll say okay leave the nozzle here preload the uh, landing grab the nozzle tip move it forward so our drills aren't just one movement it's multiple movements because we don't know what we're going to have uh, some uh, some departments exclusively um, uh, enter the uh, unit through the hinge side but we entered the hinge side we entered the lock side and we go straight in just to give them that um, you know that different muscle memory because if, if if shit goes wrong you, you know you have to have options I I'm I'm sitting here listening to you and it's like you can tell how ingrained this is into you. And, and, and it's probably because you crafted a lot of this through trial and error and conversation and doing all that learning yourself. I mean, you, you hit on before that you had a fire years ago that really forced you or opened your eyes to say, I got to learn more about this. We, we got lucky on this one and we need to do better. Right. Yeah. And I remember is that, if that's a story that you told me, yes, I mean, it was, you know, uh, thankfully, uh, you know, it, it didn't go any more south than it did, um, you know, and so on. But but then it's that personal push to better yourself, which then betters the department. And you talked about the cultural change of, um, you know, all your because all your companies operate this way. Correct. I mean, this is a departmental uh, mandate in training segment that every company needs to understand and how to operate in the high rises since you have 3000 high rises that you guys are consistently going to. Right. And, and, and what's awesome about us now is because everyone's using two and a half inch uh, hose lines. Now, every, every, every vehicle in our city has uh, 150 feet, uh, two and a half with a smooth bore nozzle, one and one eighth tip. Um, we don't know when the high rise unit is going to get there. We could come on the third alarm late on the second. Um, we don't know, but as long as those companies, have that uh, two and a half laid, all we're going to do is add something to the front section to make it better. Or we're going to go two floors above the fire or one floor below the fire, or we're going to cut a, uh, you know, 45 off a door for uh, pressurization. So on route to a fire, uh, the high rise captain and crew, we're um, listening to see what's going on. If uh, communications are bad, we'll uh, put communications modules in the building. If it's a wind impacted fire, we're going to use our floor below tactic we're going to uh, bring a, um, a ground monitor for the hallway. And we're also going to drop a resident from two floors below. So we have three tactics just for a wind impacted fire. Whereas before we just used to send our firefighters down there and they would take a beating and a beating and beating. Eventually the fire would get small, but now, um, you know, high rise fires are smoke events, not, not real big fire events. Um, we're putting the fires out quicker. Yeah. And so I guess the, the other part of where I was going to, and, and, all of this, right? But the cultural change is one, oh, you, yeah. have to, you have to educate through know-how and then you have to prove it to 3,000 brothers and sisters that this new methodology and the U-turn the U one truck is now becoming 
an important play in the city of Toronto, right? So that was hard. Oh, I could, I mean, shit, I could, I can't imagine. It's hard to change 50 guys. Yeah, it was, it was an absolute nightmare. Um, Nightmare. But consistency, you know, um, you know, hard work, I'm sure has everything to do with it. How challenging was it to educate your command staff and the chiefs that are making decisions? Because I, I think a lot of times too, you know, it's one thing you tell the backs the firemen, this is how we're doing it. And you train and train and train on it. They're like, okay, this is, this is what I know. This is what I do. It's the other thing where now you have two specialized companies. Now you're established, but when you started to make that cultural change and focusing on high rise fires and, and putting specialized equipment and tactics together to fight these type of fires, you have a command staff that was so straight ahead. And now you're offering and introducing all these new ideas, take advantage of this company and put them to work, but they have to be educated and understand all those processes too. No. And it was, it was, it was almost impossible. And sometimes I wanted to give up because you know, I would bring up your, I believe it. your Meridian Plaza fires and, and all these yeah. fires that happened in the, in, in the States. And um, I mean, I was exhausted. I had, I had told every fire out there worldwide that was catastrophic. And then I changed my tactic and I started keeping tracks of the fire we had. So in 2019, we had four fires significant high-rise fires that we really struggled at and I said hey you know what happened here we had six lines um on this apartment and we couldn't put it out and we you know hind and hod and I said you know you know so then I went armed with what is happening in our city we were unsuccessful here unsuccessful here we struggled we struggled we struggled we struggled and basically when I educated our management I said knowing what you know now can we continue to operate this way? And the answer is no. Right. I may, I basically made a, a collage of what Bill Gustin says, uh, you know, Ray McCormick and I had all these collages and all these, you know, two and a half and, and one and one eighth tip and know your flow and the heat release rates now of, of, of today's uh, high rise buildings and the contents. And, and when I came up with that math and I used Paul Grimwood as well out of uh, London, England, uh, he was actually did some ride alongs with that, with FDNY. And when we could show the science behind it, it was, it was a no brainer. Um, and that persistent and changing my tactic and I never got mad, never got angry. I just, you know, lost the battle that day, but I knew eventually I would, I would have to win the war. And, and we have, we, we actually might add two more high rise units to our city for a total of four. I think that's like this. You just said something that was really important to me. And you said the science you know, the, the science is going to show us the way here kind of thing. I'm paraphrasing, screwed it up, but, you know, the science, like how, because I think there's been times in the fire service where there have been people who have used just a little bit of science for an agenda. So how did, how did you present that? Because I think there's like, you know, and I, I think I've seen it with transitional attack is probably the one that really there was nobody read the whole report and all the studying wasn't actually done. And people were just like, Hey, like, we're going to do this now. And that's a new way of doing it. But like, how did you, how did you make that happen with getting people to see the science? Like, cause that, that had to be, cause I can only imagine like Robert Lee as a firefighter, if I don't want to do this, I'm going to try to be like, Oh, well, Brent said this, this, and this, but I'm going to leave out the three other parts. Like, how did you, 
How did well, you it was tough. And I, I think I told you when, when we were down at Snaptide, I said, I remember going in telling one chief and he's long retired now. He's like, Brooks, you know how many times I've taken the elevator to the fire floor? Do you know how many times I've used the occupant hose to put out a fire? And you're telling me now that, you know, we should always go two floors below. You're telling me now we have to go to two and a half inch hose line. He goes, you know, and I basically said, your good luck has taught you bad habits. I said, you haven't had that bad fire. And of course you get mad and angry. Um, but the reality is he hadn't had those bad fires. He hadn't had that um, um, experience. So then I started grabbing guys that were in those bad fires, especially, uh, you know, recently I said, Hey, what happened to you in that fire? I don't know, Brooksy, we got down the hallway. It was hot. We couldn't make the push. You know, we put it to fog stream. The, the uh, nozzle started clogging. I'm like, okay, perfect. Now we have something. The nozzle clogged on you because of standpipe debris. So that was it. Hey, chief, this is multiple nozzle clocks because of a fog nozzle, because of standpipe debris. We have to switch the smoothbore. You're right. Then we took the sciences. What are we flowing? And we're way, way, uh, we're flowing, you know, gross. Uh, it was just, it was, it was horrible. So then we, to, in order to flow what we needed to, we had to go to the two and a half. And now that we're there, we had to figure out how we're going to move it. Because firefighters, we come in all different shapes and sizes and physical abilities. We need to have something that would work, work for everybody. And, and that's, and that's how we did it. We found a better way to move fire hose um, that we could, you know, add to the front, move 50 feet at a time and get firefighters moving it. Which I think is interesting, right? You, I mean, you guys developed your own high rise packs through trial and error, right? You guys worked with SnapTight, which we've talked about previously on different, you know, platforms or what have you. But SnapTight was willing to work with Toronto Fire Service in determining the best possible uh, lines for your high-rise setups. You want right. to you would you mind talking about that uh, that process? And then I mean, you know, kudos to SnapTight for for willing to to work with you. But you guys wanted midpoints, certain lengths, certain diameter, certain uh, materials, and so on. And maybe you could just give a little background on that project and how involved that was, and then what the final packages are. Because I know on social media people have been asking, you know. What, what style bundle? Is that the Denver bundle? You know, how do you guys do this? So it would just be uh, in, insightful for you to uh, share that with us. Yeah, so we uh, do run with the uh, Denver pack. So we have a mark at 32 inches. And that 32 inch mark is really for packing it up at the end of the day. And then we have a nice broad mid mark, which is the uh, 25 foot section. And that's what we use to uh, deploy on scissor stairs. Or yeah, scissor stairs. Or, and we also use that mid mark uh, when we're adding to the front section of the hose line. Um, it was hard. It was, it was almost as hard as getting a smoothbore nozzle um, at that time because we're asking for rubber hose. And rubber hose uh, has such a bad stigma in our department because we tried a different manufacturer and we couldn't pull it off the truck. We had eight trucks, uh, very, very hard to uh, pull off. And we didn't like the way it kinked, yada, yada, yada. And now making a pitch to go with rubber hose for our high-rise packs. But again, it was a different manufacturer. Uh, you know, even the feel of the hose was different, but we tested everything. We went to the, all the manufacturers, tested all the hose. And it's not that high-rise fire, fires are lighter fires that we need lightweight hose. The hose meets all the burst pressure, all the friction tests, everything that we needed. But we truly did need it to be lightweight because we're walking, you know, multiple, multiple, uh, sometimes multiple city blocks just to get to the fire location. 
or if the elevator's down, uh, you know, we have to hump upstairs. We have to do a two-story stair climb every time regardless. And we're in no good condition to actually fight a fire once we do that. So once we, um, you know, I, I think Snaptight added uh, four extra strands in it to meet the burst pressures that we wanted. Um, they added the mid marks for us. Um, they, they got us a hose that I'm, I'm proud we're using it. Again, we trained 3,000 firefighters on it. Um, we, we truly put it through um, its, its tests. And now we bottle load or shoulder load it. It's cleaner. We can clean it. Uh, very, very happy. Much very lighter, happy. right? Yeah. Much lighter. Very lighter. Very, yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, that, and, and I love that's just another step in the process, right? Because that the time we spent together a month ago, you have tremendous uh, amount of videos uh, on your phone that you were showing us and sharing with us because a lot of your concepts and tactics are different than what we're accustomed to. Um, and, and it just, it's a different way of doing it, but the outcome is there, the proofs in the pudding, if you will. Um, and that's through trial and error. So I do want to say, um, outside of all of this, you do have your own training company and your website has all this information on it, correct? It does. And I got 10 videos just on the standpipe kit. Um, other videos are, um, in the works, but Good. I think the most important one was 10 videos on just the standpipe kit. And then there's multiple, multiple uh, PowerPoint presentations that you can screenshot if you want to use it for um, your department to get, you know, uh, you know, the same type of um, stuff that we have. Awesome. Uh, also it. stay tuned for um, smoke movement. Um, I just uh, showed a, a video today of a, of, a, of a flow path that we had, we had set up with artificial smoke, but um, we use spiral ducting to clear smoke um, out of our wind impacted fire. And uh, what day was it? Friday, I took one of our chiefs who wasn't a believer down. I said, chief, I'm going to clear smoke out of this wind impacted fire unit. And I'm not using any fans. I'm just using spiral ducting. And uh, he kept shaking his head, shaking his head. And I showed him, he goes, well, you know, what type of gypsy magic is this? I, he was, he was <laughs> I said the same he, thing, man. You showed me that video and I was like, no way. So now we have a better one with I'll 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 send it to you. We have a better one now where we added smoke because I, I had that caution tape and I showed the caution yeah, yeah, tape. Yeah. Yeah. The wind coming in the apartment and then wind sucking getting sucked out the tube. So the chief's looking at my caution tape. He goes, I thought you had a wire in there and you're bending the wire to fool Smoked me. Mirrors, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's can crazy. You, can you talk about just circling back a little bit, but you said that when you were responding to incidents and high rises, one of the things you're looking out or looking at is the ventilation profile of the building. Um, I've never heard that before when in, in regards to a high rise. So what does that, what does that mean? It's really just a, just a quick visual uh, snapshot. Like if I pull up and I see a, a building with lots of balconies or a lot of uh, air conditioning units uh, hanging out of it, um, it, it gives me a good idea on what strategy you're going to use. If I pull up to a building and I don't see any of that, it's all glass. Well, then I can think, okay, this is, you know, I start going down the right path as far as what equipment I want to bring off the truck uh, right off the hop. Our, our giant 30 inch fans, uh, you can see behind me, we do positive pressure isolation right off the get go. So we can stop um, smoke from going in the attack stairwell or the evacuation stairwell just by using positive pressure isolation. Then our fan cart, that goes to staging 
if it's an older building, we're going to use a different tactic. If it's a newer building, we're going to use a different tactic. So we set that ventilation profile up simply by just a quick look snapshot of the building. When we get inside, uh, we start looking for those cues that are going to uh, help us be um, uh, uh, successful. A lot of departments out there, the first thing they do is cut the roof hatch open, get that smoke. Um, not us. We, we uh, contain that smoke now. We keep the roof hatch closed and we take the smoke where we want to take it to. Um, instead of chasing smoke throughout the building, uh, we, we want to lock it down to the fire floor. And then when we're ready, um, we select that path that we want to send it to. And it's either by using spiral ducting or sometimes we do use the um, roof hatch if it's gone way, way beyond the uh, uh, fire floor. So yeah, it's uh, just a quick snapshot of it. It, it could have um, uh, smoke shafts. Um, they're great, uh, older older type system, but if it's got a smoke shaft in it, again, we're gonna seal that hallway down. Post fire, we're gonna take an elevator right to the fire floor. We're gonna open the lobby doors. We're gonna vent out the fire apartment. So we, we have different tactics, you know, the high rise, I like to get an elevator just for us. And we know when to take the elevator to the fire floor post fire to get rid of smoke. And we're using stack effect. Sometimes you don't even take fans off the truck. We'll just use, um, you know, the science behind uh, stack effect and we'll clear smoke that way. And on average, it takes us two minutes per floor to get rid of smoke. I, you gotta, you gotta put out, you gotta put out videos. We gotta push this stuff. I'm telling you some of the stuff I saw you do. I, it was, it was some type of magic. I mean, it, it's just, it really is. And then not only that, but you take it a few steps further, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, your processes and tactics, like we've, like we've been talking about um, are driven through trial and error and science. And then, you know, you have an incredible cache of different types of equipment, uh, a lot of homemade or, I don't know if homemade, but um, designed home through. Home engineered, maybe. What's yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, home engineered. Yeah, well, home engineered. Uh, right? uh, directly in front of me, I have a prop that I made up. It's a, a it's a floor plate of a high rise building, and uh, probably turn my uh, screen around and show you. But uh, I light a cork on fire and blow it out, and I put it in there, and I use my spiral ducting so I can show how we can create a flow path, how we can get rid of smoke, how we can isolate uh, um, the fire floor, and and it's got a it's got a glass top on it and how many units i guess it got 10 units two elevators and a hallway uh and then once you show students that hey we're really making a big mountain out of molehill when we start getting rid of smoke and we show them this and they're like oh wow now we use a hair dryer for our wind impacted fires but hey it it works sure and now with our training tower we're using the artificial smoke um the one fire that i really want to use the spiral ducting is kind of a funny story so I get up there, no one else on the job saw the spiral ducting. We get 25 feet inside. Uh, we throw it out the window. We break 90. We're setting up another 25-foot section. We got 75 feet of spiral ducting. We're 75, 75 feet away from the fire department. A crew comes in to do overhaul, sees the spiral ducting, and they throw it all out because they've never seen it before. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but fellas. I, uh, we need, yeah. yeah, we need that. We need that back. <laughs> I have to ask, you alluded to a picture you posted the other day of uh, yourself and you had all this piping. You were, you were holding, what, what in God's name is that? What is that? So we have the floor below nozzle there. We have a, a cock lock nozzle. Uh, oh, so this is, this is all your nozzles in like a carrying kit, if you will. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we can get through um, smaller elevators, um, revolving doors. We did have the eight foot um, New York floor below nozzle, um, but some of our elevators and revolving doors, uh, we couldn't get it through. So this one breaks into into two. But the new uh, elevator breaks. breaks I get it now. I saw all this and I'm like, this looks like piping for a, you know, an industrial mixer. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then now it makes sense. So it's it's just the different nozzles packaged together so it's easier to carry. And then, you know, if you're going to take one, you might as well take the cachet with you, right? Is that right, the, we, the thought? We don't, we don't like to come back to the truck. We just one clean sweep. Everything comes forward. If we don't need it, we bring it back. But if we do need it, we're not going to waste that reaction time and go all the way back to the truck and get it. Um, yeah. That picture too that was uh, posted, I had a four-inch coring bit um, in my other hand, and this is this is kind cool. Of way, but you know, yeah. firefighters get up and they start venting and they get the saw and they start doing our um, tra uh, traditional cuts. We'll go up with our battery-powered coring tool, put one four-inch hole, and we'll throw a resin in. And then we go to the next one and we use our coring tool and we drill either holes through walls, through floors, through uh, ceilings to attics. And we can deploy it so much faster and almost effortless, effortlessly because everything's battery powered. Everything's, uh, you know, quick. And, and we still do stuff um, traditionally, just the high rise crew will have that specific tag. We still cut, we still vent, but we'll go up and we'll put one small hole and we'll put our, you know, resin distributor in or we'll, uh, use our use our cock loft all or we'll do something with bloom frame construction we can kind of get ahead of the fire quicker now that we can put um, um inspection holes in and have a quick look and it's not a, and it's not it's not um uh, uh exhausting we're not swinging axes and halligans um and and hooks and getting tired we're letting the tool do all the work for us you know we stick our head in oh the fire's not here oh yes it is here so it's just as fast as that thing can drill is as fast as we can have a look. So it seems odd to see a firefighter going in with a big, you know, hammer drill battery powered with a four inch coring tool, but if we're just doing. Well, quick, I, it's, quick, it is quick. so, it, I mean, I, I want to see, I want to be on the roof. I want to experience that, but it makes sense to me because you think of all this, you know, in the Northeast where Rob and I are, I mean, we are truck exhaustive, right? Like we, we cut roofs pitched or, or flat and we do inspection cuts and, and we cut trenches and commercial built like, and it's labor yeah. intensive. It is. And then, and then I'm thinking of your four man company up there with a battery operated coring drill and a breast distributor with a shutoff. You drill a hole. The guy moves on, moves 10 feet away, starts drilling another one. The guy sticks the pipe in the Breslin spins around for 30 seconds, right? Knocks it down, goes to the next hole. And you think about that and I'm like, holy shit. Like it, it does, it's, it's gotta work. Yeah, I think about all the manpower that goes into a trench cut. <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, uh, like, and we, and when you're doing a trench, you gotta have a charge line up there anyway. It's not like you're cutting a, right. you know, a one or two holes in a, in a residential dwelling. Right. I mean, this is, you know, when you, when you decide to cut that much real estate, you know, part of a trench is having that charged one or two lines up there, because if that fire starts to run, you have to be able to take care of that. And so, I mean, you already got the line up there anyway. Right. And it, it, it kind of drives uh, even with our department seeing, you know, the high rise could get there and we're bringing our standpipe kit to the roof and we're bringing our high rise packs bottle loaded and we're taking it to the roof. And it kind of floors everybody, like even the standpipe kit, the gate and gauge and, and bleeder valve. And we go to the roof with it 
and we go all through these tight, these fire escapes, and we get on the roof, we deploy our packs, and we make an improvised standpipe, the pump operator can overpump us, and we just set our gate and gauge, and we have three different nozzles up there, and we set it for each one of our nozzles, and we're, we're no longer uh, relying on the pump operator, we're just doing our, doing our thing with our, with our hose packs. That's why we don't call them high-rise packs, actually, we call them hose packs, because we can use them for residential um, dwellings to get up on top quicker, and then just drop a length down and yeah, have and her you, were, you were telling me you were telling me recently that you guys had just done this process at a fire not too long ago oh, was it a church or something i think you said or uh, yeah we did it on a church uh it was converted into a high rise uh we did it at a queen and sumac fire and we just did it on friday again and it's just yeah we just our, our, our the the hoses on our packs we go to the roof we drop it we drill a hole throw the president in and go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the and next this, one. These are, this is accessing the crawl space, the cock loft, the attic space, whatever there is between the living floor and the roof, correct? Yeah. It's, 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 it's really popular in row houses because if, if we get that common attic and that, and that fire is going down, we'll get up. And the cool thing about the Bresnes is, is you can leave it um, unstaffed. So you can go up, right. deploy it, the giant sprinkler head hanging there, and then we'll go you know, below and we'll have that one on the pole. It's a smaller, it's an inch and a half resident, and we'll poke that up in the ceiling. So we have that double protection, and and we've been very successful in stopping it um, from taking the neighborhood type thing. And this is this is done with a four man company, or do you then ad so we'll, adopt another uh, company to give you a hand? Uh, I don't like to adopt another company, but we do for our our high rise fires for a residential. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll split up into two two. So two will go to the roof, two will go, um, you know, inside. So we kind of we we kind of jockey back and forth, um, depending on what tactic that we're going to use. I think it's I think it's really interesting in the uh, in the traditions of the United States Fire Service with the engine and truck, if you will. Um, you guys certainly bridge that gap. I mean, you do suppression and you do support, right? And and uh, and truck work and. Um, you know, so you never really know what you're getting into until you uh, arrive and and really size up the task at hand, because it might not be a 25 story building. It might be a three story building with, you know, large setbacks and heavy fire load. And, and you know, and, and you know what I'm saying? Like, so you guys never really know what you're getting into. No. And the uh, cool thing that and a lot of our um, instant commanders you know, this is kind of new to them as well. So when we get there, like chief, give us an assignment that no other truck can do. Like everyone can pull hose, everyone can, uh, you know, uh, uh, move a line, but we need to do something that's unique to us. So if it's, if, if it's our cock loft nozzle, if it's our floor below nozzle, whatever the case may be, um, we need to do that. Um, and if you, and if you don't need that tactic, then, you know, there's really no point in us being at the call, but even if there's not a fire attack package that, that can use, let's say at a residential house fire, well, then we'll switch to ventilation. Yeah. Right. So there is something pretty much on, on our truck for every type of fire. Yeah. And, and your truck should be said, it is a rescue style uh, truck that you are running. Right. So it's, and it's got, I think a lift off the back for the heavier equipment, things like that. If I remember correctly. Yeah. We have a portable uh, compressed air foam system on there. That's for, you know, catastrophic failures in a high rise building, but we can use them on hydro vaults. We can use them in our tunnels our subways. And it's uh, basically throws out 600 U.S. gallons of finished foam, and we can hook that up to a standpipe system if we needed to as well. And this that's uh, this, 
this truck has got apparatus innovations written all over it. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to renew my passport and get my ass to the North country. Cause uh, I got to get up there and see you um, oh, I because I think there's so much unique things that you guys do from tactics to equipment and everything in between. It's, it's incredible. I, I just think of like the knee wall fires that I've been in yep. where we couldn't find which knee wall it is. And then you're down the hallway and you're like, shit, it's not here. It's behind us. And then there's that one guy that's like, the hook and he yeah. puts it through the wall. Right. And everything changes like that. And you're like now spraying him with the water because he's like, what are you doing? And everything changes. And like so many of us have been burned in those knee wall fires, especially like in Poughkeepsie, you can have a, you know, the third story is essentially that half that's been converted into an apartment. So yeah, hundred percent. You know, and you guys had that uh, uh, silos problems in the states. Like, like if you have a a fire with silos in it, that whole ceiling has to come down. I don't know if you guys do that. So I don't know what you're talking about, to be honest with you. So okay, so uh, we have cellulose installations. Uh, like, oh, cellulose. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I thought so, you said silos, like for the oh, farm. Oh no, sorry. Uh, cellulose. Cellulose. What Rob, he's cellulose. from Canada. Get cut yeah. him some slack, Rob. Yeah. He's from Canada. It's my it's my uh, strong accent. It's, it's hard <laughs> to understand. Um, but yeah, if Vietnamese right there. Yeah, <laughs> we'll uh, use those nozzles. Not the ceiling still has to come down, but we'll use those nozzles to make sure that the fire has been knocked down, where we can pull it down and and not mm -hmm. worry about um, uh, fire extension. Yeah, well, I mean, just that coring alone. I mean, you know, typically on knee wall fires, by the time we get to opening up the knee walls, the fire is already running that void, and like Rob said, it goes from you know, tenable to lights out and in, in pretty good heat very, very quickly if we don't get a handle on it. And a lot of times, you know, the trucks on that roof, they're making a cut at the peak. They're not making a cut below the knee wall, right? And so right. we don't do any of those lower, especially on like a sharp pitch, Rob, like where you are, yeah. right? I mean, I lived in those houses for a couple of years up there, you yeah. know? So, you know, where you have that space, nobody's cutting below that knee wall to the end of the ridge, to the roof line. But with your coring tool, I mean, and, and, that, go ahead. Yeah, and, and what happens there is is you make a hole in that knee wall and you stick your nozzle in. Yeah. And it, and it does it does that exact hole. That's it. Whereas we'll stick our nozzle in and we'll have a 160-foot reach of stream. Right. So we don't have to drill it. We don't have to keep right. putting holes. We'll put that one hole and then we'll go 80 foot down this way and 80 feet down that way to another hole and we'll... Um, uh, spray water that way too so it's just it's way more effective i think um but again i you know not that it's the the end all be all but i, I think other departments should certainly try it and um, see if it works for them oh, especially that um q uh q decking roofing and it starts traveling through that q decking we just yes. keep cutting holes and cutting holes but we'll just get ahead of it cut one hole and we'll put uh, you know, a certain type of nozzle there to either hold it or put it out. Brent, let me ask you something. You talked about, um, you know, we've, we've been hitting a lot of the high-rise stuff and we talked about it before, the high-rise on its side, the Home Depot, the box store, any building with a standpipe. So what's, what are the, what are some of the pitfalls that we see when we're going to that big box store? I know I have a Home Depot in my first two. There's a Lowe's down the street from where I live. Um, what are some of the things that we can pick up from the high rise unit when it comes to dealing with a fire in that occupancy. 
so with with us and and, and we do run those uh, fires uh, on the high rise we'll get there and we'll see how low that smoke's banked down because those the reason why those building ceiling heights are so high is to to allow people to get out allow that void to fill fill up with smoke mm-hmm. and kind of hold it up up that six foot mark um so us as a high rise if they're not making good forward progress um we can give them a portable ground monitor um if that's not working we're going to get our our giant uh fans going and start um working the smoke then like as far as that's what that's what the high-rise would do i would never think that adding a fan to a a box store is a good thing and like just kind of kind of go down that road with me real quick like right so if if, if we have a bunch of openings, um, you know, that's not a good thing. If, if everyone's out of the building and we have a line stretch, stretch from a truck, our lifeline out, we'll, yep. we'll actually seal that building up and we'll make our own entrance, our own exit. And mm-hmm. we'll start, um, you know, the best place to get rid of that smoke. And it's generally, uh, we start behind the nozzle team and, uh, you know, get that smoke to lift for them so they can get in and get out. Yeah, uh, like one of those fans, it's 26, almost 2700 uh, CFM. Sorry, yeah, 26,000 CFM. That's uh, incredible. It's a lot, a lot of power. Yeah. And we have two of them. Um, if we can't do it, if it's uh, one of those fires where it's, you know, very, very big warehouse, we have a second high-rise unit that, that's going to bring two more fans. Uh, we also have a fan truck uh, we can bring as well, but we're finding these um, 30-inch fans are... Uh, easier to set up, faster to deploy. And, you know, we're doing a tactic called positive pressure isolation. So we're actually not clearing the smoke at that time. We're just isolating it. Um, so when we're ready, when once the fire has been extinguished, we can actually vent it properly. I struggle. anywhere to smoke. But. I struggle so often with, um, edu- you find that the basic principles of ventilation have to be constantly explained to people because yep. they just don't, get it yeah right i mean it's a it's it's a simple you know when you say positive pressure ventilation we're forcing air into a building the force needs you know the force needs to cause pressure you pressurize the building then you find your opening you open after the building's pressurized and the and the contents is forced out right and there's there's a little bit of science behind it there is yeah go ahead go ahead uh, we're not really, we're not really using that. Um, what they, what they call that? The positive pressure attack. Remember mm-hmm. they were calling it yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're, it's, it's not that it's, it, we're right. just isolating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get that. I get it. I see it I'm like, oh man, that was disproved years ago because it has to be a perfect scenario. And we're like, no, it's, it's a little different because we have, you know, the CFMs now to back it up and we're isolating the smoke. We're not actually clearing it at this time. Right. So it, yeah, it's, it's, I get it. But I'm talking about the simple principles of it, right? Like you you said before, your high-rise events are smoke events primarily, right? Unless you have a wind-driven fire that's overtaking if there is a sprinkler system in the building or it's overtaking the common hallway, right? But other than that, typically it is a smoke event and you're worried about the upper floors, the fire floor, the upper floors, and so on. So you really got to understand the science and principles behind ventilation in order to be effective in your job and to do it quickly, right? Because- the quicker we can get that smoke to lift and get pushed out, the safer and better it becomes for us. And for, uh, obviously for the people that aren't even, or don't have any protection whatsoever. Right. So right. there is, there is that know-how and, and need for uh, understanding. I just find that so many people lack that understanding of 
You know, I went on a small call the other night. They got every freaking window open. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, guys, what are we doing here? Like, let's think about this for a minute, right? Start closing windows. And they're like, what? I'm like, start closing yeah. windows. I know. And they get all out of shape. Yeah. Actually, Rob, you were, you were mentioning that, that one uh, thing we look for, the ventilation profile. If I pull up to a newer high rise and there's a stairwell that leads to the outside, doesn't lead to the lobby, and that door self-opens, um, in, in our city, that means that stairwell is positive pressure for us. So that's, that, that's a huge win. We're not taking any, we're not going to positive isolate that stairwell because it's, it's already done for us. So those so, are the, those are those cue, uh, cues that we're looking for when we pull up to a high rise. So oh, with that hallway, would that hallway then become your, your, uh, is that the common hall for the escape? Is that the, is that the, the, uh, actually that'll be that full stairwell, which will be uh, positive, positive pressure already for us. Um, so we'll get up to the fire floor. The stairwell will be clear. It might be a dirty hallway or a clean hallway, but when we open that door, generally that smoke will hold right there and it, okay. won't, it, it, it won't come in that stairwell, huh. but the buildings have, have that already. We don't need to do anything. It, are those, are those labeled? Like, do you know, or you just know from, Okay. Yeah, I just know from experience, but that's why I'd love to have a placard on every high-rise building because you know we have the high-rise buildings with 22 stairwells, and not all of them are yeah. pressurized. So, you know, it starts to get complicated. Well, that's why I was asking too. Do you, you know, with is that the is that the resident escape stairwell? Is that the fire attack stairwell? I mean, sometimes you know, depending on tactics and considerations, that you try to make it that way. Um, in my little knowledge of high-rise firefighting. Yeah, so with us, we we you know we try to get the crews up there as fast as possible, you know, two floors below, and then they got to pick what the attack stairwell is. Once we know what the attack stairwell is, then we can say, okay, the best fan placement would be here, here, and here, and then we'll take more fans up the two floors below. And and any firefighter out there that that is doing ventilation, you have to be a little bit patient. And it's and we're in such a rush, but if you just pause for a second and you know use your flashlight or use your caution tape and just see what's really happening. Um, because you got your, you're all bundled up. You got your face piece on and you can't feel anything. So use your piece of caution tape, hold it. Hey, okay. You know, this is yeah. the, this is where the smoke's moving. Open a door and it starts going in. Okay. I get it. I, I, I see where this smoke is, is, is going to end up, but it takes a couple seconds to pause patience, figure out what's going to happen. So speaking of patience, I mean, we've been hitting tactics and we've been, I mean, it's already been an hour, just so you know, Brent, already. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how quick this goes, for sure, right? But so my, so my thing is this, right? I, I, I absolutely want to just capture a little more about yourself. Um, you know, we talked a lot of tactics and, um, you know, I think we're going to have to have you back on just for a, a tactics and a slideshow on equipment and so on. I'm, I'm already picturing this in my brain as to what we could do to, you know, get this information out there um, with you would be awesome. But um, yourself, I mean, you are the captain of this company. Um, yeah. You in 27 years in the city uh, have had to see incredible change, especially with everything you just spoke about, uh, you spoke about. So uh, incredible change over your career. Um, exciting. Still love it. Still, still loving every day. Oh yeah, there's uh, there's there's nothing I, I I wouldn't do. They actually said, "Do you want to write for district chief?" I said, "Man, I can't I can't picture myself being a district chief. Like I'm boots on the ground. I'm you know developing tactics. I'm you know teaching people how to 
stretch lines in these, you know, complicated buildings. I, I can't yeah. see doing the chief thing. I just love it too much. And how exciting is that? I mean, so many people say the, the company officer is the most rewarding position, you know, in, in the firehouse and um, your, your company, you are specialized. Do you still get probate probationary members or do you get people that transfer over? How does that, how does that process work? Uh, every now and again, we do get a um, probationary fire, uh, fire fighter. Um, but our recruits now, um, well, I guess over the last three years, I've been um, exclusively training them. So they, they actually know more coming out of our uh, recruit class than, than firefighters on the job. So right now my push is to get regular firefighters that aren't on the dedicated high-rise units to actually learn high-rise firefighting. And we're getting better. Like every day I go into work now, we're tra- you know, training 3,000 firefighters all over again on that shoelace drill, uh, adding to the front section and moving large diameter hose and wait till, wait till phase three and uh, phase four come in. Uh, we have a way of stretching hose up a stairwell. Um, I can't wait to share it with it. It's, it's easy. It's, it's fantastic. I love that. I love that. I know when we were doing the round table um, last month, um, you know, we went around, I was asking some questions and, and the one question that was unscripted was the one I asked at the end that it said, you know, um, you know, you still in love with the job. What do you find rewarding? What, you know, and so on and, and so forth. And you, you told a story that, um, I loved, and it was about a, um, you know, teaching and instilling, and then happening to hear one of your younger guys passing that down to another guy. Um, as the captain of your company, I mean, it's got to be exciting to have guys dialed in as much as you are, um, and so on. And in in the discipline that you guys bring, I mean, God, the other the last time we we spoke uh, before today. You say, oh, yeah, I just got off shift. We had three three high-rise fires on, the, on that tour, three. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, just, you know, it's kind of unheard of, you know? And so, you know, you guys are doing this work and you're doing it daily. And you have a, um, you were telling some stories about your guys and, and just the, the camaraderie and the personalities. But um, it's got to be exciting. Uh, maybe just speak a little bit about the reward of that company officer position because, um you know, seeing so much change and being a catalyst and a big part of that change, um, you know, you it, it speaks to your character because before you said, you know, trying to teach and instill these values over the last couple of years and these new tactics, you never got you never got upset or hurt by any pushback or miss or non understanding, you know, um, and so on. And so which that speaks to your, which is incredibly amazing, Rob. I mean, you talked about patience, right? Understanding, temperament. Um, I know you as a, an incredible gentleman, but just being that company officer, um, that position to you, talk about it. It's, it, 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 it's absolutely gold. And so my crew is, is pretty dialed in. And I love the fact that I can split the crew up and I can trust them to be where I want them to be there. And that in itself is, is it's like, I feel like I'm taking part of me and, and it's going there to do something. And then I get to go. But what I tell my crew is like, as your captain, I'm going to get us you know, the best opportunity to get in and, and fight this fire. You got to trust me in that, but I need you to be able to put those tactics into play while I'm, you know, talking to, you know, an instant commander or sizing up the building. When I come back, I expect things to be staged and ready. So my job as, as a captain is, you know, obviously the safety and come up with the, you know, the, the end game or what tactic we're going to use, but really I'm fighting to get my crew um, in the best position, um, you know, to get the best job at the fire, basically. <laughs> I love that. 
I'll get you in there. You got to yeah. perform. <laughs> you got you to make me look good. Exactly. That's right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love it. So let me ask, what's next, man? Uh, you got uh, you got a hell of a career going. A lot of so a yeah, lot of good just, love. Yeah, go ahead. We're just we're just working on you know trying to get um, things so we can share it. It, it, it's hard because when you have uh, department logos and department names you, you know, and social media, you gotta, you gotta, you know, there, there's, a, there's a thin line there that you gotta yeah. watch. Sure. But we want to share it, and and not that we want to brag or anything like that, but we want to share it so someone can take that same tactic, try it, test it, and say, hey, you know what? Did you think of this? Did you think of that? No, we didn't. And if we can come better, the departments around us uh, uh, can uh, uh, become better. North America can, becomes better. The world becomes better. Um, and it's all about the safety for firefighters and it's all about the occupants that we're going to go help. And if we can do that quicker and better, more efficient, then I think everyone should be on the same page. Like fire departments, at least in Canada, we, we, we were like sports teams, you know, uh, you know, we kind of fight and we, and we keep everything, uh, a secret and we had our own strategies and now Pandora's box is, is open. If you're a firefighter in Canada and the U S and Cuba and in, in Australia, we're all the same. We're all type A personalities. We all want to get in there and work. So why don't we just all be on the same team and do it? That's that's my point of view anyways. I love that. I think you've had a really good opportunity with this high-rise stuff to travel the world. And I know we were talking a little bit about some of the conferences that you have gone to. And like, I've made some friends in England, uh, in London. But like, can you kind of talk about that this brotherhood because a lot of times in our podcast we talk about brotherhood and and fire service culture and like tell me about the brotherhood that's internationally because you've you've met some of these brothers from across the world and you know like touch on that for a minute yeah i've i've uh i've i've been to france i was there um prior to the uh notre dame fire but talking to those fire firefighters there i mean they are so dialed in and I took little uh, tips and tricks from them and brought it back. And I told them a bunch of tips and tricks. And now we email back and forth. There's, there's a, a hard translation there. Uh, and, and the same with London, England. Um, I spoke at FireX a couple of times. I'm part of a, a T90 group. Uh, I represent Canada. Uh, Curtis Massey uh, represents the U.S. Uh, along with someone else from uh, FDNY. Um, but we're a pretty close group and we just bounce tactics, uh, off each other, but it, it feels like we're, uh, you know, we, we, we see each other just like you and I see each other now, but it's like, we're best friends and, and we have the same interests and, and the same love. And we just, uh, it's just, it's just great. And, and, and I even take my wife, uh, uh, to some of these conferences and she loves it. You know, she meets their wives and we go on these building tours and, uh, you know, talk to designers and talk to firefighters and talk to chiefs and, uh, it just, yeah, it's, it's making our world uh, smaller. Yeah. And, and the friendship is, is oh. priceless. I think that's one of the things that I've really, I mean, it was 2012 was when I met my friend Billy and, you know, we've, we've kept that friendship going since then. So I, I just, I think it's good to, to talk about that because we don't, we don't hear about it outside of maybe, you know, North America as much as I think we should. Yeah, I was I was really worried about you guys because I said, well, if I can fool them with us driving on the wrong side of the road, uh, you know, <laughs> do I really want to be their friends? <laughs> well, I will. T- I'll tell you. Yeah, nice, nice. I'll tell you. Um, having meeting you and uh, and working with you on that Snap Type project was a lot of fun, and I'm so happy you were able to 
make it across the border during COVID because uh, as you put it, you pulled up to the, you pulled up to the, uh, the gate and yeah. they're just shaking their head at you. Like, Nope, turn around. There was, there was no car in front of me. There's no car behind me. And every single customs officer came out and the first guy said, see the dust in the parking lot. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he goes, no one gets through this dust has been here for weeks. He was, he was, he was obviously exaggerating. So I just explained to him the whole process and what we're doing. And, um, I might've made a friend at the border. And, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. And no problems getting back. Uh, getting back. So I had to do the, uh, COVID test in the States to get back across right. the border. I had to do one at the border. And then okay. I had to do a 14 day isolation. And at day 10, I had to do another COVID test. So basically I had four COVID tests to, uh, travel back across the border plus 14 days hiding at the cottage and you did get uh 14 days of r and r at the cottage though um, okay. it felt good did yeah. you uh did you work on any high-rise stuff while you were there i did that's when i came up with those uh 10 videos that i posted just just last sunday <laughs> i awesome. said oh, all right i'll make videos i made 10 videos posted them online that's i showed great. rob I, uh I, I whittled a stick even so yep. <laughs> we had a jackknife out and i whittled a stick and awesome yeah. i love it so listen, we're going to, I would love to get some content put together with you more than what we did. And so we're going to have to look at future plans. I would, I would love to take the trip North. I've never been to Canada before. Um, I've, I've seen it. Uh, I've, I've looked at it, um, but I've never crossed into it. So, um, but I would really love to get up and see these high rise units. I think um, what you guys are doing there um, and the passion you have for um science and tactics and experience and you mix that all together and you come up with some interesting ways of combating some difficult firefights and um you know i just kudos to you brother i mean everything that i've learned about you uh the videos i've seen and, and the teachings you're doing um really are uh defining and bringing forth a lot of experience and know-how into an industry or a segment of this industry that not many people know much about so Bravo to you, man. Keep up that good fight. I, I think you're bringing tremendous value to uh, usually we say the American fire service, but in this case, the international fire service. Yeah, for sure. exactly. International fire service. I like that. But yeah, all my stuff, it's free. It's online. It's highrisefirefighting.com and just go on there. And if, and if I did make a, uh, you know, an error or misspoke, uh, let me know because I'll, uh, I'll correct it because the, you know, the more information we can get out there, uh, you know, the more it comes back and, Makes it, and, makes I, it and I love that. And you, and you hit on that before and you talked about the friendships you developed. And I think, you know, as you're talking about sport teams now, we're used to be competitive, but now we're willing to share. I think, you know, we have the means and the communication now more than ever to be able to share what others are doing. We used to be, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just you and in, in Canada. And so, I mean, it's the United States were the same way. I mean, it was, you know, it was almost like this is our house and we don't tell people how we operate or what we do. And it's, you know, mm -hmm. I think part of that is done for cockiness but the other part is is you're not sure if somebody's doing it better than you and you don't want to tell them you don't want to tell them how you're doing it because you might not be doing it the way you should be or yeah. there's a better way out there you know so true so yeah true. so but i think now more than ever we have a environment of um wanting to better each other and better our tactics and departments and make it a little bit safer. Uh, and if your tactics can make it a bit safer for, for me and, and I can teach you something, I mean, that's where the win is, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And now with the social media, it's just, it's just getting that much easier to actually share it and, 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 you know, find, find new people. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, okay. So here we are. And what I want to say is it is uh, highrisefirefighting.com. Everything we talked about tonight, tactics and strategy wise, uh, is represented on your website, I think, for, for most of what we've talked about. Um, I do want to end it talking about your shoelace drill, right? Which is, which is how you get the line pushed down. When you talk about moving 50 feet at a time, you're only moving 50. You're not moving 250, 300, whatever, right? It is, it is difficult to talk through without seeing the video to support that. So what I'd like to do is I'd like for you to talk about it real quick about how you guys deployed down the hallway, right? But then what I'd like to do is when we put this out, I'd love to put your instructional video attached to it. So we'll talk about that afterwards and, and see if we can do that. But it is such a unique way and so foreign to what we know um, here, or at least what I know and, and how I've been taught. Um, would you mind going into the process of just, you know, with your bundles and, and how you deploy that line to the fire department? I know uh, uh, Chicago uh, was, was trying to do this uh, back in the day as well. Uh, they just weren't um, uh, uh, successful. But what was happening to us is we were coming up short. And everyone says, well, you should never come up short. You should always do the perfect estimated stretch. But with high-rise buildings now with the, with the podium, all bets are off. The stairwells are different. You can have scissor, return, you know, all, all bets are off. So we were finding ourselves coming up short a lot. Um, when you come up short, you're, you're allowing smoke in that stairwell and the building starts to wake up and problems become uh, uh, worse for you. So we're like, every time we shut that standpipe down to add a length, our firefighters aren't protected and uh, the smoke keeps spreading. Then we add 50 uh, feet at the standpipe and now we're truly moving 200 to 250 foot of charge, two and a half inch hose lines. Uh, it wasn't working for us. We um, simply couldn't do it. So then we try adding to the front section. So we're not shutting down our water supply. Uh, we have a hundred foot reach of stream with the tip on. We have 80 foot reach of stream with the tip off. We add our increaser. We still have 80 foot reach of protection, actually more volume because it's a different orifice size. Um, and we hold the fire. The next crew comes up. Uh, if it's an underground parking lot, we can say we want to add 50 feet, hundred feet or 150 feet. If it's a hallway, we'll add 50. So we'll add 50 feet. They'll stretch the line up. Uh, uh, behind us, they'll give us the female end. When we're ready, we don't need to use our uh, radios. We're talking face-to-face. -face. We add that 50-foot section. The hose line gets charged. That nozzle team um, moves forward. We secure the bale because that's the weakest, weakest link. Once you secure the bale, that firefighter goes back and um, increases the pressure a bit for that extra 50-foot section. Um, we also when you deploy the line behind you, it forms a bite. The backup firefighter grabs that bite and puts the bite on their belly button. They actually put their hands behind their head and drive forward with that loop on their belly button. If the nozzle firefighter is advancing, the drive firefighter maintains the same pace as the nozzle firefighter. If the nozzle firefighter stops, the drive firefighter will stop, but it'll give him two loops. He'll grab one loop and roll it up to the nozzle firefighter and lean it against the wall, go back, grab the second loop and bring it up to the nozzle firefighter. And that now that preloaded hose is sitting there ready to go. Now both crew members can advance that line. When they come up short, the next crew will come up and they'll add 50 feet. Um, that drive and, and 
bite and loop thing is one tactic, but then we'll preload the stairs as well. So we'll put the nozzle uh, into the bottom rung, we'll feed it up the stairs, we'll grab the nozzle, we'll pick it up, and that'll give us a uh, landing effortlessly with just preloading it. I love it. So that's, that's you know, one way. I, I, yeah, you kind of have to see it. Yeah, for again, sure. And, and it's just, I know, and even when people see it, it's like, that ah, doesn't work, snake oil, no way. Like, you can't do that in a snotty hallway, you know, this and that. And, and when you watch the process of adding 50 and adding 50, um, it does defy the uh, standard and traditional ways of moving a line down a hallway. Um, but when you start to put some thought and reason behind it, and then you put practicality behind it and experience behind it, um, it starts to make sense. And, uh, and then before you know it, it's, it, you're looking at it going, wow, this is, this is really a revolutionary, revolutionary way of, of moving forward. Um, and so our eyes so, and ears are still on the fire. Like we're still watching the fire. We're still, you know, watching conditions. We're not retreating. We're, we're still actively, actively trying to make that push right. um, down the hallway. Right. Uh, the, the other thing too, a lot of firefighters have a problem with is, um, you know, you have that hundred foot reach of, uh, of, uh, protection. Now we're flowing a hundred or sorry, a thousand three liters per minute. I don't know what that is. in um, in the States, but we're flowing a lot of water, um, on a dirty hallway, we'll use that reach of stream. We'll tag the door frame and we'll send a firefighter down to close that door if it's safe to do so. Um, and once they get that fire unit door closed, we, we reset. And now you can set up, um, right out in front of that fire sure. unit. Again. 265 right. gallons a minute. What, what are you? It's uh, 265 gallons a minute. There you go. And I think you guys are trying to get 250, right? Yep. Typically. Yeah. So yeah, you, so you're flowing 250. You got that protection. You have that reach of stream. You can shut that nozzle down because it, it, you know the fire is moving 100 feet in let's say five seconds. Well, you shouldn't be shutting down, and you shouldn't be adding to the front section because you're still, you know, trying to make that push. That's just that's just my take on it. But, you know, with that protection and when you're ready to go, um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's working for us, put it that way. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the important things that you talk about, too, that not many people talk about is the operational reach of the stream. Yeah. Too often, we, we don't put value in that stream and, and how far, you know, with a, you know, with a two and a half, I mean, would you say 80 to 100 feet? Yeah, we get 100 feet with the tip on, we get 80 feet with the tip off. Yeah. yeah. And 260 gallons per minute. Right. It's a hell of a lot of firepower and reach for sure. And then people will go, and then people will start saying, well, you're doing way more water damage. Well, no, well, no you're not. Because if you look at the science behind it, you're either fighting a fire for 20 minutes or you're fighting it for six seconds, you know, both using the same amount of water. You're just flowing it for longer, uh, you know, when you're not using it. So water damage um yeah it's i think it's a thing it, it's a it's a it's a theory in the fire service that we stop um but the buildings that are sprinklered they're not worried about water damage and i'm they not don't give it i'm not any, overly concerned either if i have fire rolling over my head i am not no, concerned about my water damage not at all I'll tell you that that's that's going to be stage yeah. seven in the incident yeah. where i start mitigating water yeah and and, and the, the cool thing is yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. good so Brent, thank you, man. Like yeah. such a cool conversation tonight that went so fast. Uh, I told you that before we started how quick this goes. Um, I feel like I truly, I Rob, I, I feel like all we did was talk 
strategy and tactics and high rises. We didn't even get his story. We're going to have to have him back. We got to, yeah. I need, I need to know Brent Brooks, the, the man. I, I got to get to know this guy. Yeah, like probationary firefighter Brent Brooks. Like, you, I would like to know that. Do, I mean, a lot of people listen to the audio platform, so they don't watch the YouTube video on this or whatever. But um, just to throw it out there, this man has got a hell of a mustache. Um, and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so he must be a badass fireman. I mean, we'll start there, but Brent, I hope we captured a lot of, a, a lot of information. I know we captured a lot of information tonight. I'm sorry if we didn't get enough of your background and, and story, but, uh, it's not about me. It's about it's just my man better. So you, you brought so much to the table tonight and it's just fun to watch because over your, you know, 27 career, 27 year career, this is what you've done and you have such a passion and love for it. Um, and, uh, and it just speaks volumes and it showed tonight for sure. Um, and the fact that you're always looking to further your education, educate others, um, and, and bring all that to the table just betters the job. So, uh, with that being said, thank you, brother. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys. Cool. I owe you, I owe you guys both some, some wobbly pops when you come North. Uh, Rob, you got anything on that? I don't, but I'm. Did you did you say lollipops or what? Wobbly, wobbly pops. Wobbly pops. Yeah, they make you... a little wobbly. What our yeah, our our alcohol is a little bit stronger up here in our in our beers. That's that's no secret. <laughs> no, and and that is probably reason number four why I want to come north to see you. So you know, I'm just packaging it up that I want to look at the high rise unit, but I'm sure we're gonna yeah. do a couple, you know, 12, 13 percenters uh, up there, no problem. You know, so what's a wobbly pop though? Is that what you call it? Because it's a high. Beer. It's just a nice way to say a beer. It's, it's high. Te- it's high it, test, yeah. huh? It'll it'll make you a little bit wobbly after you've had one. Uh, <laughs> I certainly, uh, after our time uh, last month, I'm certainly looking forward to doing some more. So, uh, for sure. But brother, thank you for joining thank us tonight. You, I thank mean, you, what bro. a what a great conversation. <laughs> um, brought a lot to the table tonight on the topic of high rise firefighting, which. Uh, I know many are not comfortable with talking about, let alone operating at, um, and so on. So just uh, kudos to you for bringing that forth tonight. Um, And I thank you for sharing that story with us. And uh, I look forward to capturing more content with you in the future. I think there's a lot that, uh, a lot that you have to share and to, uh, and to better the job. Um, Remind everybody where they can find you, uh, your content. If they want to reach out, they're looking for information or a class uh, from high rise firefighting, where can they find you, Brent? And just uh, highrisefirefighting.com. And uh, I like to travel, so if uh, you're having an event, anything to do with uh, high rise or standpipes, uh, even, even if you don't want me to speak, uh, I would I would love to attend. Um, the more I learn, the better, the more I can share. But yeah, just highrisefirefighting.com and, and send me information. And I love to travel, so if you're if you're having something, um, let me know. And that's why that's why I ended up in London, England, because they're having a high rise event. And, I ended up in Houston and Dallas and Fort Worth and they're having a high rise event and obviously H rock and Pensacola beach. And uh, yeah, if you're having something that's high rise related, please, um, please invite me. Even if you don't want me to speak or talk to, (laughs) I'll sit in the back of the room, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Good. Well, brother, thank you again for joining us tonight. And uh, you know, like I said, if anybody's got, uh, you know, creates a lot of conversation here on this topic. So uh, Brent's the guy to go to. Um, he's an authority in high-rise firefighting. And uh, I would tell you that if you listen to this podcast, 
um, and you have any questions uh, or thoughts uh, or you wanted some backup video to support the conversation tonight, check out his website, highrisefirefighting.com. Captain Brent Brooks out of Toronto Fire Services. Thank you, brother, for joining us tonight. It's an absolute pleasure, and we appreciate your friendship and brotherhood. Uh, stay right where you are. We're just going to end the recording, and uh, and then we'll chat for a few minutes. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Rob, you got any closing words? I have none. This has been got, awesome. Thank you. You got like a like a fortune from a fortune cookie or anything you want to read to the, to anyone tonight? No? Got nothing? No wisdom to share? Nope. I'm all wisdomed out. You look like you're having a rough night tonight, buddy. All right. Listen, thank you. And uh, I will leave you with this. Find the job better than you found it. There's a lot of good out there. Keep spreading the good word. Thank you for tuning in tonight. And uh, we appreciate the support on the National Fire Radio platforms. Brent, thank you, brother. Rob, as always, man, I love doing projects with you. Another successful podcast in the books. Brent, thank you, brother. Enjoy Canada. Eh? And uh, to everybody, to everybody tuning in tonight, thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good night. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in this week and listening to another episode on the National Fire Radio podcast channels. We truly appreciate the support. We thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to our interviews, our roundtables, our discussions. It means the world. Like, share, leave a comment. The more we engage, the more we can grow and push the word out and keep making this job better.